Hello everyone, I hope you're someplace warm. Happy Thursday, it's currently two degrees where I am while filming this, and I have no desire to go outside anytime soon. But anyways, this week we're gonna be looking at some creepy, crawly, disturbing, r slash let's not meet stories. This is my first time reading them as well. I kind of just picked them out based on title alone, so let's see. This first story is titled, I think a nun tried to steal my baby. My stepfather is an idiot. He is an ex-alcoholic slash drug addict who is heavily involved in several Catholic churches and the local AA community. AA stands for Alcohols Anonymous, for those who don't know. Alcoholics Anonymous, not Alcohol Anonymous. The drugs and alcohol must have seriously fried his brain because he still has really bad judgment and decision-making skills, especially when it comes to people. He has brought so many sketchy people into my life. Thank God nothing serious happened. I get it. He's trying to help others who are struggling with the same battle he went through, and maybe he is making a difference in some people's lives. But he's been bringing these kinds of people into my life since I was four years old. Some of them even lived with us for a while. I had kids at a young age. I was 20 when I had my son, and 23 when I had my daughter. When my son had his first birthday, my stepdad and mom retired. My mom had me when she was 40, and decided to travel, going on mission trips with their church and moving to another state. They started working with this Catholic organization that specifically helps people who struggle with alcohol and drug addictions. The church gave them housing among their nuns and priests and paid them a small amount of money to buy food and necessities while they worked with them. One year around Christmas time, my parents came home for the holiday and brought an older nun with them. She was probably in her 50s. My family got together and went to a Santa's workshop, which was super crowded. My mom, stepdad, their nun friend, and my sisters and their kids came too. My daughter was about six months old, maybe less. She is a beautiful red-headed baby. I have received many comments from family and strangers on how beautiful she and her red hair are, and probably have a few other stories of people who don't understand personal boundaries regarding children. The nun was immediately taken by how beautiful my baby is and kept touching her hair, talking to her and wanting to hold her. It was immediately uncomfortable because this was my first time meeting her. Also, she wasn't acting this way with any of the other children that were with us. My son, who was a three-year-old at the time, has since been diagnosed with ADHD, was a handful, and running all over the place, getting into everything. It's so hard going places with him and her without their dad. He didn't come with us because he was most likely working. So I think I was distracted because my son was getting into something he wasn't supposed to, and I let go of the stroller for a second, and this nun immediately took it. She told me she would give me a break, and since she was a friend of my parents and my family was all around us, I decided to let this nun push my daughter in the stroller. Another incident happened where my son was getting into something and I was distracted again, for less than a minute. And when I turned my back around, the nun and my daughter were gone. I freaked out and my whole family was still around me. No one knew where this nun went. She didn't say anything to anyone about leaving. 
my family and I immediately started looking everywhere. Luckily, there were so many of us, and found the nun at the front of the building, right near the exit. It was terrifying. When we found her, she just said she was just taking my daughter on a stroll. I decided to leave right after that happened, and so did everyone else in my family. Luckily, I haven't seen her since. So yeah, creepy old nun that knows my parents, let's not meet again. Okay, so we have some edits and updates. Edit. I posted this as a comment response, but someone suggested I add it to my post. I forgot to mention some of the weird comments the nun had made about how, if she hadn't become a nun and had children, she imagined they would look just like my daughter because red hair runs in her family. Another small but interesting detail is my older sister, who was there too, with her three kids. She also had a baby girl who was only a couple months old at the time. I don't understand why the nun latched onto my daughter in particular, other than her having red hair. Is hair color that big of a deal? Or would it have been because I was a young mother and didn't have the father with me? Update. I called my mom today and asked a few questions about the nun. I believe she legitimately is a nun. She worked with their organization and was introduced to them by another nun and priest they know. She frequently worked with them when they lived in Maryland, setting up retreats and meetings for addicts. At one point, the nun had planned to go on a mission trip with my mother, but something came up and it didn't happen. My mom and stepdad moved around a lot during their retirement and haven't talked to her since they left Maryland, which was about two or three years ago. They recently moved back home and left that organization, and my stepfather works for a whole new one, doing the similar work, and my mom fully retired. My mom doesn't think there was anything weird about the situation, that it was no big deal the nun took my daughter on a stroll and didn't think to tell anyone where she was going. I haven't seen her since because she still lives in Maryland. My parents don't even talk to her anymore, and I actively try to avoid people my parents hang around. Interesting. Honestly, I believe that story. It's so... that's pretty believable. I believe a crazy nun would do that. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay, this next story is titled, I thought this was only an urban legend. Thank God I didn't stop my car. Click to see NSFW. This happened a couple of months ago. It feels hollow to put a catchy title on what happened to me because it freaked me the fuck out for a while, but I think it fits in this community. I was driving home from work at 2 a.m. I'm a nurse and I live in a small city. The roads were totally deserted and it was a freezing night. I don't live far from work, maybe a couple of miles. I'm driving down a residential street around the corner from my house and I see a man laying face down in the street. Now remember, I'm a nurse. My first thought was, great, gotta help this guy up. I was coming off a long shift and falls happen all the time. As I slowed down the car, I suddenly realized what an idiot move that was. I'm an, 
I'm a 100-pound woman and I don't carry any weapons. I thought, I should do something to help the guy, so I called 911 as I drove past him and slowed to a stop at the end of the block. While I was stopped at the light, I explained to the dispatcher that there was a man in the road who might need assistance. All of a sudden, I hear a loud bang, bang from the driver's side window. I screamed and looked over. A man was pounding on my window and jiggling the handle of my locked car. I looked in the rearview mirror and saw that there was no man laying in the street. Still on the phone with 911, I screamed, I'm so scared, to the dispatcher and floored it through the red light. I quickly told him what had happened and even though I was right by my house, he told me to keep driving. After a few minutes, I had calmed down and he told me to loop back around. I pulled over down the road from my house and stayed in the car. I didn't see the man anywhere, so I got off the phone with the dispatcher who told me he was sending a police car to cruise the area. As I gather up my things, I do a final scan of the area, and I see the man. He is walking with two other men. I hunched way down in my car until they were far down the road, then bolted into my house. I don't know if he had ill intent, but it freaks me the hell out that he wasn't alone. Always lock your car doors. And carry mace. Wow, OP is really smart for being precautious about the man lying in the street, because I think I would stop my car and jump out and be like, oh my god, are you okay? And then something bad could have happened. So, one smart lady. Okay, this next story has a mega long title. It should have been a beautiful drive, but it was a trap. This story is why I always tell someone where I'm going and how I'm getting there. Click to see NSFW. I lived in New Mexico for several years before moving to the Midwest. My friend, Amy, and I, both females, would spend many days exploring the remote corners of New Mexico, discovering abandoned ghost towns, and enjoying the quiet, desolate beauty of the desert. One afternoon in March 2010, we were traveling from Rodis... I have no idea how to say that word. Ruidozo? Ruidozo? Let me look that up. Ruidoso. Ruidoso. One afternoon in March of 2010, we were traveling from Ruidoso to Albuquerque. Always up for exploring, we took a back road rather than traveling the more direct highway. One leg of our journey had us on NM55. It's a remote, teeny tiny two-lane highway. We loved those types of roads, up until that day. This part of New Mexico is flat and desolate desert. You can see for miles and there is virtually nothing except dirt and rock between towns, and towns can be miles apart. So we were on NM55 going north. After a few minutes, we saw a white pickup truck up ahead of us, going the same direction. Suddenly, he stopped his truck sideways in the middle of the highway, blocking both lanes. We were about a mile away from him, and as we got closer, we began to get uneasy. We could see no reason for him to do this. We were the only vehicle out there, and we began wondering if we should turn around rather than come up to him and have to stop. We were about a half mile away from him when he pulled over to the opposite side of the highway, but his truck was still pointed the direction we were going. We tried to relax a little. Surely this guy was a rancher or something. Maybe he was checking something on his land. As we passed him, we noticed a few things. One, 
There was only one person in the truck, a middle-aged guy who never took his eyes off of us, and two. He was talking into a walkie-talkie. A few seconds after we passed him, he pulled back onto the highway and started following us, but he never got too close. He would get to within a few car lengths and then drop back a little, and then speed back up again to within a few car lengths. We were getting nervous. We realized how alone we really were. We had seen no other traffic on that road, and we hadn't talked to anyone about our great idea to take this detour. We checked our cell phones, and neither one had a signal. Typical for remote New Mexico, but scary given our present situation. Amy was driving and speeding up, while I frantically checked the map, hoping to find a road that would have more traffic. There was no other road. We had to travel this one to get to the next town, Mountaineer. Turning around to go back the other way didn't seem like a good option. After a few minutes, we saw another pickup truck coming towards us. He was going very, very slowly, maybe 20 miles per hour, if that. The pickup was old and beat up, whereas the one behind us was newer. Amy had us up to 75 miles per hour, which wasn't typical for us on these 55 mile per hour highways, and we blew by the old pickup. As we passed it, we saw that it was another middle-aged guy, and he was talking into a walkie-talkie. After the white pickup passed him, he pulled a U-turn and pulled in behind it. As we watched all of this, we could see the white pickup truck guy talking into his walkie-talkie. No doubt these two knew each other. We were being deliberately followed. And for the first and only time in my life, I felt hunted. They stayed right behind us. We watched for obstacles in the road. We truly thought old beat-up pickup guy had set up a trap in the road, and our vehicle would be disabled somehow. We talked about driving into the fields. We were in an SUV. But this was obviously their territory, and we were afraid of what would happen if we went off the road and got cornered. So we stayed on the highway. By now, white pickup truck guy was right on top of us. We could see him talking into the walkie-talkie, and he stayed right on our bumper. And old beat-up truck guy was right on top of him. The three of us sped down the highway. The white pickup inched closer. His maneuvering and edging closer made it apparent that he was trying to bump us. I watched helplessly as he got to within inches of our back bumper. Amy floored it. We were passing 80 miles per hour and edging up to 90 miles per hour. The road was flat and deserted, but any little thing going wrong would have been catastrophic. We absolutely were not going to slow down or stop if we could help it. The white pickup pulled into the opposite lane and started to gain speed. The only thing we could think of was that he wanted to pass us and get in front of us. If he got in front of us and his buddy was behind us, then we'd be boxed in and trapped. We looked frantically at the rocky desert on both sides of us. Our only option was to off-road it. Should we risk it? Could we speed through the desert and make it to safety in one piece? As we topped a small incline, we saw a sign that said, Salinas Pueblo Missions National Monument, and it pointed towards a road on the left. And right at that moment, a blue pickup truck pulled out of that road and onto the highway in front of us. As we came up on the blue pickup, we saw the plates that said, U.S. Park Service. We looked at each other and then looked behind us. 
both pickup trucks did U-turns and went the other way. We followed the blue pickup to Mountain Air and then made our way to Albuquerque. I don't know exactly what those guys' intentions were, but they weren't good. There is something seriously wrong out there. I notified the state police and they said they would keep an eye on things. This area is very near Bellin, New Mexico, which is where Terra Calico was abducted. It's also about 100 miles from Elephant Butte, New Mexico, which is where David Parker Ray had his little secret torture laboratory. We didn't put all that together until later. Even though David Parker Ray had died by the time this happened to us, we do believe that there are others out there like him. And whoever abducted Terra has never been caught. Or maybe we came into meth lab territory. But since this happened on an actual highway rather than a backcountry road, I tend to discount the meth lab theory. Whatever is going on out there, it's not good. So let's not ever meet, or have anyone else ever meet, these guys. Okay, they have a link to the Terra Calico case. This site cannot be loaded, okay? So this story was posted nine years ago, and apparently there's an update in September 2023 for the case. Apparently, police know who abducted Terra Calico. So this is an article by KOB4 by Brittany Costello. Okay, so 2023 marked 35 years since Tara had disappeared. So just three months ago, investigators made a huge announcement. Valencia County Sheriff's investigators said they say they know what happened to Tara Calico and who murdered her, but can they prove it? The case, including those persons of interest, went to the 13th Judicial District's Attorney's Office for review in June. Since then, officials with the office said they put together a team of attorneys to go through the 35 years worth of files to see if there's enough to criminally charge anyone. Okay, so here they are finally talking about the case and what actually happened. It all started 35 years ago on September 20th, 1988. A young woman, 19-year-old Tara Calico, disappeared while on a routine bike ride. She left her home about 9.30 a.m. on her mother's pink 10 speed huffy bicycle with plans to ride Highway 47 to Highway 60 and back. According to the original police report, she told her mother, Patty Dole, to come look for her if she wasn't back home by noon. When she didn't come home, her mother went out looking for her. Patty Dole reported her missing around 3 p.m. Lieutenant Rollins said the day she went missing, there was just a 20-minute window from the time witnesses reported seeing her on the road to the time her mother went searching for her. Witnesses came forward. They told police they saw Calico on her bike, but that she was being followed very closely by a light-colored old 1950s Ford truck with a camper shell and New Mexico plates. So this is a quote from an original witness to seeing Calico on her bike and the person following her from a recorded interview with detectives at the time. Quote, Once I passed her, that's when I first focused my eyes on the so-called escort vehicle, and that's when the hair stood up on the back of my neck, and I said, Wait a minute, this doesn't look good. With the help of multiple witnesses, the investigators put together a sketch. The driver was believed to be in his late 30s or 40s in 1988. It described a white or light-skinned man with red or brown hair. But to this day, the vehicle has never been found. Investigators said the driver has never come forward. He said not long after her disappearance, the investigation took them to Florida, where a notorious Polaroid of a young woman and boy bound in the back of a van made national headlines. Tara's family thought it was her. Her mother, Patty Dole, never gave up in trying to find her daughter. 
but scientific analysis over the years proved it was nothing more than a distraction. The so-called toy box killer's family had a ranch not far from where Tara disappeared. That's David Parker Ray. He closely resembled the sketch of the driver in the truck that day. But Lieutenant Rowland said that theory, primarily investigated by the FBI, was ruled out. We, as investigators, believe we have an answer. We believe we know what occurred and who's responsible. Wow, so they're not going to tell us, okay? So basically, the last update on this case is from the Valencia County Sheriff's Office announcing on June 13th, 2023, they believe there is sufficient evidence to submit the investigation to the district attorney's office uh, for review of potential charges, and they're currently not identifying or specifying any people of interest involved in the case so that that can be sealed um, until there is a court order otherwise. So it's been almost seven months since that, so I hope they're still working on that and eventually they make a breakthrough and can charge somebody. Okay, this next one is titled, Always Lock Your Patio Door Even If You Live on the Fifth Floor. For a little background, I am a 27-year-old female and I recently just moved into a nice apartment in a quote-unquote safe neighborhood with my two dogs, Charles and Wigwam. Wigwam? Maybe I'm not saying that right. That sounds weird. Charles is a corgi slash German shepherd mix and is the most loving but overly obnoxious dog, while Wigwam is a Lassa Apso, I don't know how to say that, who is a quiet, sweet, and most definitely scared shitless of his own shadow. I've only been in my new place for about a month and after this experience, I highly doubt I'm going to make it here for the duration of my year-long lease. That was a weird place to put a comma. The way these apartments are set up is that each floor has its own set of doors that leads to four apartments and a fire escape door that only opens from the inside. I'm on the back side of the building, which places my patio about 10-ish feet from the fire escape stairs. I take my dogs out three times a day, midnight being the latest I will go out by myself. And every time I leave my apartment, I put the bar lock on my patio door and lock my front door without fail. About a week ago, we had a snowstorm and I had cracked my patio door because, well, I love cold weather and I'm a fucking adult. And if I want to watch the snowfall, then I can do as I please. Mistake number one. I let my guard down because I'm a stubborn twat. It was around 11pm and I decided that since it was getting late, I should take the dogs out for the night. And since they both hate snow, this would be a quick trip. I go to lock the patio door and decide against it because I'm on the freaking fifth floor and I'm only going to be outside for a few minutes. I get the dogs ready, grab my keys, and lock my door as I leave the apartment. I get down to the designated pet area with my beloved snow-hating dogs and let them do their thing. And then back to the apartment we go and we get back in safely, or so I thought. This is where I thought I was losing my mind, but in actuality, shit was about to get real. As soon as we walk into the apartment, my dogs run over to the patio door, and I notice the door is shut and the bar is locked. Mistake number two. I immediately think, that's strange, but didn't connect the dots. I go into the kitchen to get dog treats, and both dogs start going batshit crazy and growling at a large cedar chest in my living room, and as I'm walking to see what all the commotion is about, I see a pair of eyes creeping from under the chest lid. I stood there for about five seconds before I realized what I was seeing and calmly walked back towards my front door, opened it, and told my dogs, let's go outside. 
and they ran out without leashes and I immediately get them and myself and my car, lock the doors and call the police. The police show up in less than five minutes and they go up to my apartment and after about 20 minutes, two officers are dragging a 40-ish year old fucktard out of my building in cuffs and the plot thickens. This dude has been watching me since I moved in and had been stalking out my place, waiting for an opportunity to get inside because he knew I lived alone. If that's not creepy enough already, he had a fanny pack since it's still 1990 and he had a pocket knife, needles, ketamine, and a picture of me from the day I moved in. And his plan was to sneak in through the patio door, wait for me to fall asleep, and God knows what else. Needless to say, I didn't sleep for days because I thought he would come back. Luckily, the bastard is still in jail, but I'll never forget those eyes. So to the dude who planned on drugging me in my sleep, fuck you.